Did you know more and more when we interact with businesses, we're interacting with their AI, the chatbot that fields our customer service query, or the algorithm that determines if your resume makes the cut. The technology is remarkably good at unearthing new efficiencies and insights in mountains of data, but artificial intelligence can also introduce unintended consequences, perpetuating the very inequality we're trying to stop. And the risk is only growing. In a recent PwC study of 1,000 U.S. executives, a quarter reported widespread adoption of AI, and half said their companies were accelerating its usage. So there's an urgent need to ensure that businesses practice ethical AI. Welcome to the Element Podcast. I'm Janice Sankus, Vice President of Innovation for Social Impact at Hewlett Packard Enterprise and this season's host. Each episode this season focuses on a different path to digital equity, and today we're exploring how to eliminate bias in AI. The big question, if the technology is only as inclusive as the data it uses, how do we bake diversity into the data sets? I posed this question and others to today's guests, Bina Amanoff and Kirk Bresnicker. Bina is the executive director of Global Deloitte AI Institute, author of the new book, Trustworthy AI, and founder of the nonprofit Humans for AI. And Kirk is chief architect, fellow, and vice president of Hewlett Packard Labs, and he's a thought leader in ethics and AI. Kirk, Bina, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, thank you, Janice, and great to talk to you again, Bina. So we're hearing about algorithmic bias in a variety of applications, from employee hiring to sentencing and at a range of organizations from tech giants to government agencies. Kirk, you know, what is algorithmic bias and how pervasive is the problem today? Algorithmic bias is a set of several challenges in constructing an AI model. We can have a challenge because we have constructed an algorithm that is not capable of handling diverse inputs, or we can have a problem because we haven't gathered broad enough sets of data to incorporate into the training of our model. So we can have challenges in, in, either, in either case. Either we have insufficient data, the data actually may have been adulterated. Someone may have tried to inject a false signal into the data. Something may have been purposely or unintentionally excluded from the data, or we can have problems in which we process the data. To your question about where is this important, you know, it's important any time a decision that we're making with one of these tools really has a human outcome. Is there a challenge in identifying me as a person and this is somehow precluding me from accessing the service? We think of AI tools as being pervasively useful. We really don't see an area of science or engineering or art or entertainment where there's not the possibility that AI technologies could be implemented. And so we always have to think across this broad spectrum of human-centric outcomes we want to achieve, so, Bina, what are the top risks from bias that get baked into digital systems and worsen existing disparities? In addition to data, it's also the implicit biases, the biases of the creators that creep in because you train a model on certain data sets that you think are relevant. But if you ignore certain data sets because you just don't think they're relevant, that's actually one of the biggest risks because those are more difficult to manage because as humans, we are highly biased. That's what makes us human. And as these biases get baked into the systems, there is very high likelihood of sections of society being left behind underrepresented minorities, people who don't have access to certain tools, they're left behind. And it can really drive more inequity in the world. And it's a real challenge that we need to solve for. So is this um, from malicious intent or does this happen accidentally? 
it is more of the unintended consequences. Any algorithm that we build is focused on improving human lives or making things better, optimizing existing solutions. But it's our own biases and the historical data biases that creep in that create these unintended consequences. We have to get more mindful, more thoughtful about these unintended consequences. I think it's impossible to remove all biases, but it is possible to reduce it. Who decides if an algorithm is biased? That's a great question, Janice, because so far it's all been reactive. It's a headline or it is discovered by accident. But we are entering that era where accountability on who should be responsible for taking care of this, who should be responsible for thinking about those unintended consequences to mitigate it early on. A lot of it has been driven just because of where we are in the maturity curve of AI and algorithms. We've moved from beyond research to value creation by using algorithms. And now we are seeing those side effects coming into play. And what I've seen in my experience, it can be anybody from the data scientist or the engineer who created it to the CIO or the VP of IT. So it really comes to the impact and the risk level to see who is at the end of the day, accountable and responsible to make sure these biases are addressed. Can the increased use of AI change uh, or, or impact the urgency around addressing equity issues? So, Janice, I'll take a, a first crack at that. Um, and I think, you know, you've uncovered yet another one of our biases, which can be the computer told me. And sometimes we feel like, OK, I want to create an equal outcome. Everyone's going to access the same tool. We're all going to go through the same process. Isn't that equal? Well, yeah, that's equal. We're all running through the same process, but we're all not starting from the same place. We add in the complication of an AI system, which can reinforce those biases. You think of that abhorrent practice in improving loans, and they would redline people by their zip codes and say, I'm not going to give a loan to this group. And you could say, well, I'm not doing that anymore. But if you're actually incorporating the data that was underlying that economic disparity, then you've now reincorporated silently redlining that same marginalized community. You think you're running an equal algorithm, and it turns out that you're not. So what Bina said, I think, is what I am observing as well. We're seeing more and more as these tools move from research to deployment to becoming incorporated into normal business processes. We are seeing communities come forward and say, we really need to ask hard questions at the beginning of the process. And I think that's extremely healthy. I know that's one of the things that has come across developing our own AI ethics principles. And one of the ones you just said there was the responsible, accountable, both of those terms drive requirements at the beginning of the process so people really examine the data and sometimes for the first time they're just pulling in data that has been used in a process before now we want people to establish that provenance that measurable confidence in the data that's going in and then you have that ability to look at what's going into these systems and decide the difference between equitable outcomes that are enabled by a system and perhaps just everyone gets the same equal processing, which is going to only continue to perpetuate systemic inequalities. It sounds like you're suggesting we need to hold algorithms accountable. What does that mean for companies? What we want people to do 
is to employ what we have done in engineering systems, complicated systems in the past. We need to audit that data supply chain in the same way that we audit and uh, look for conflict minerals in our material supply chain. So it is raising a bar, a responsible use bar from the entire supply chain of technologies that go into an AI solution, the data training and infrastructure required to achieve a solution, how you maintain that over time, how you create the models, how you inference over the models, and also as you create processes that are based on these AI tools, if you have something that is not explicable, if you can't explain it, then you really also need to give people an opportunity to come back and question the outcome. And Bina, have you seen this work or do you have some examples of that? Kirk raised so many good points. There's really so much to unpack there. You know, I think one of the key elements that needs to happen is really that basic AI fluency across the organization. Too often it is left to just the data scientists or the engineering teams, but it can be your finance department who is evaluating an accounting tool that uses AI and is not asking the right questions. Or it can be that intern in your HR organization who is evaluating HR our vendors for recruiting faster resume parsing, but doesn't know to ask the right questions. What was the data set this was trained on? Have you considered all the biases? It doesn't matter if you're building AI or not. I think every employee in an organization needs to understand the core ethics principles for the organization and how is it relevant for their job. Too often, we focus on training the data scientist or hiring an ethicist who sits within the IT or but the CEO and the boards need to understand as well, because everything that can go wrong with AI is a big risk. One of the things that you said, Bina, that I think is so important is that breadth. I led one of the working groups that wrote our AI ethics principles, and we talked about three Ps. We talked about product, and that's the most obvious one. I'm using AI to design a better product, and we gave the guidance to them. We talked about process. I am utilizing AI to improve a process point at our team members, our customers, our partners. And finally, there was partnership when people are building AI solutions on top of our products and services. And here we had groups that raised their hand and say, well, I'm just designing an industry standard component. They could come to HPE or they could come to Dell or anyone. Do I still have a concern? And the answer was absolutely. So across product and process and partnership, we wanted to have that conversation. It wasn't that we came up with a punch list, you must and must not do these things, but we just wanted to raise the general understanding of the issues and then collect the best practices. But the first thing was just pushing it out. This is everyone's job to be literate in this area. Are you suggesting that there should be such a thing as an algorithmic audit? And if so, how do we make that a routine thing going forward so that it's kind of baked into company operations? So in terms of auditing the technology, I think the first step is to educate and actually understanding how we measure the effectiveness, the robustness of AI systems. That's actually an active area of research for us uh, here at Hewlett Packard Labs. I never hold anyone at fault if they were unaware of the issue. There's a difference between not being aware and being willfully ignorant. Sometimes you have this conversation with them and you see this grave look come over their face and they realize this is something they should have been considering all along. So having that first potentially challenging conversation with them about this is the ramifications. Have you considered the outcome here that might happen? Having that first conversation, that's the step. I think you'll increasingly see both service 
services and technology come to the forefront to raise this confidence and have it be more methodic, more uh, application driven. For me, it goes back to you know some of the basic engineering skills that I learned. Now, I stress tested my systems, not because I thought that they were going to be expecting some particular combination of situations, but I wanted to understand how my system behaved so that when it went out there in the field, I knew it was robust. And I guess that's one of those other themes that come out of here. When you employ these discussion techniques, when you begin to tool up to examine the data, the algorithms, when you ask teams to examine themselves for bias, you end up with more robust systems. I couldn't agree more. And another way to increase the robustness, make sure that you're mitigating those biases early on and putting the guardrails is to have a diverse team. Uh, and when I say diversity, it's not just about gender diversity or racial diversity or ethnicity, but having people from different cultural backgrounds, geographic backgrounds, educational backgrounds is super important to make your algorithms robust because that's where you get that diversity of perspective. To a large extent, when we talk about AI, we're talking about encoding or augmenting human intelligence. And the more diversity you can have in the teams ideating, designing, developing, and scaling these AI solutions, the more robust your solution is going to be. We've seen too many cases where you have algorithms that are too narrow because, you know, that diversity hasn't fed in. What's an example of that, Bina? You know, the one that uh, strikes me, which is trivial if you think about it, but it makes it real for a lot of people, is an algorithm trained to recognize shoes. Sounds simple. That algorithm was trained on flip-flops, sandals, leather shoes, and formal shoes, all kinds of shoes, and then it was released out into the world. But that algorithm could not recognize women's shoes with heels because it was never trained on it. Because the team that developed it was a group of fresh college grads, all male, all young, never thought of training it on women's shoes. Now, this is a very trivial example, but you realize that the data set was limited. Now, think of a similar algorithm which was using historical data to diagnose a disease or an illness. What if it wasn't trained on certain body types or certain genders or certain races? Those impacts are huge. If you don't have you know that diversity at the table, you are going to miss certain scenarios. And that's not a good thing for AI's own development because we need our AI to be robust to really help all of humanity. Yes. So Kirk, you mentioned the ethical AI guidelines that HPE is following. What are some keys to making guidelines like this effective? Yes, it was an interesting process to create our AI ethics principles because it wasn't just the technologists. We had our entire compliance organization. So our AI ethics effort was co-chaired by Glenn Leon, who is our, our chief compliance officer, and Paolo Farabowski, our fellow here at Hewlett Packard Labs, who heads up our AI research lab. So they're the ones who convened it. And when we actually got to writing our principles, I, along with Amy Holcroft, our chief privacy officer, we co-chaired the writing group that wrote the AI ethics principles. I thought it would take us about six weeks. It took us the better part of a year wow. to really get in and argue and really examine Hewlett-Packard Enterprise across the breadth of engagements we wanted to use AI, across all of our functions. And we actually came up with five principles. We said AI should be privacy-enabled and secure. AI should be 
human-focused. AI should be inclusive. AI should be responsible. AI should be robust. And underneath those, we wrote a little bit more text. And so we really fleshed out those ideas. We Again, took us the better part of a year to get to that point and to create training materials for all of our team members across all the potential functions, engineering and HR and all of the leadership teams and the field teams and the partnership teams to create training to help them understand what we meant. What we realized is that we weren't ready to live out those principles because it's one thing to have principles or to say you have them. It's even more challenging to actually figure out how to live them out in your daily life. And what we realized is we need to get the principles out. We need to have the conversation about the principles and then open the doors, open the office hours so that people can come in. And we do ask them, if you're going to employ AI if in product or process or build an AI partnership, come to the AI ethics team. Let us have a conversation with you, let us get your team trained up, and then let's capture the outcomes. Let's capture how you work through what the principles are. Let's work that out. Let's document that. And then we'll use that as the basis. So we didn't feel like we could come up with a punch list of things to do and not do. But it sounds like you brought together a pretty robust and diverse set of individuals, you know, from the compliance office, from knowledgeable thought leaders on artificial intelligence, from HR, and then vetted with a broad set of employees to to really see if there's a set of guidelines that could be followed and made sense for the culture. Are you suggesting that every company should have a set of ethical AI guidelines or is there one set that everybody should follow? Any perspective on that, Bina? I do think every company should put that thought to develop the ethical principles because AI is very context-specific. So it cannot be a one-size-fits-all. There are also global guidelines coming out, but I think every organization needs to put that thought on what does AI ethics mean for us? What are our guiding principles? What are the things that we will not negotiate? Having it at your company level does two things. One is, you know, it is very relevant for your business, for your organization. And secondly, it brings together leaders from different groups in one place to really think through and get their buy-in and have them be the champions leading it across the organization. We're living in this interesting era right now, Janice, where we don't have as many regulations. But I do think in five years, you're going to see more AI regulations coming out. But at the same time, the technology is growing so fast, it will be impossible for regulations to be always covering every possible scenario. So we're going to enter that era where you're balancing between being adherent to existing regulations at the same time self-regulating. It's going to be that balance because of the pace at which the technology is evolving and the nuances and the context heaviness of a technology like AI, where you absolutely need it to be very contextual for it to be effective. What do ethical AI guidelines look like in action on a day-to-day -day basis? For us, it looks like an opportunity to have a conversation. We have our AI ethics working group that meets and is always ready to have a conversation. And then it looks like a call for action, that if you are incorporating AI technologies into a product, if you are sourcing AI technology to improve a process, or if you have an opportunity to make a sale of our products and services that go into an AI solution, then we want to have a conversation. We actually already had processes in place that 
that went along with our human rights certification. And so it's just one more click in that already established process. Now, that wasn't necessarily in there for some of the partnerships. So for those that aren't used to going through a compliance step in product development, we've added a little bit more there. But again, it's pretty lightweight and it really is a conversation. So if these guidelines are working in your organization, you should see an active, vibrant dialogue and conversation amongst your team members about these guidelines. I think that was part of the benefit of having a diverse team across the breadth of the company that helped write the ethics principles. As we set ourselves up to take this process globally of having these AI ethics conversations, we've already had a lot of the tough ones. Uh, So I I haven't been uh, caught unaware yet with something we didn't have at least some dialogue on uh, before. And now it's just how do we take it and, and personalize it to a specific team, a specific action, a specific partner? So as leaders, we're recommended to establish these ethical AI guidelines for our organizations. What operational changes are required to add this continual monitoring throughout the algorithmic or the AI development and execution cycles? You know, I I would say that it needs to be a company-wide effort. We've talked about educating every employee, looking at your existing processes, right from whether it's a vendor evaluation or if you have an engineering team that is building AI solutions or products, how do you inject a step in there which is looking at the ethical implications? Meaning every project I have been in too many of those where there is a line statement on what is the ROI? What is the return on investment? What's the value of doing this project? Add in just one step, say, what are the ways this could go wrong? And that will open the doors to say, okay, how do we mitigate it? Because once you have that conversation and once you're aware of it, you really cannot turn away from it. Or at least it's a conscious decision. So Janice, I have a book coming out, Trustworthy AI, which actually talks about all the ways you can develop these principles and how do you operationalize it. And it covers the learning component, changing the existing processes, whether you're a technology firm or just a consumer firm that uses the technology. And then the third step is really, you know, the principle principles that you develop is not a once and done thing. It's going to be a living document because technology is evolving. There will be new scenarios that you need to consider. Think of AI in the metaverse context. What are the ethical implications in the metaverse? We all talk about, you know, the value that metaverse will bring and how it's going to impact us. But what are the negative implications of it? Who's going to be left behind in that scenario? And how do we mitigate for it? So I think it's a living, breathing document and the ethical principles will evolve over with time. That's really, really great advice. So Kirk, what are the biggest misconceptions about removing bias in AI and non-AI algorithms? So I think, uh, you know, it's never done. And I think that's one of the challenges we have here. And also, you know, bias is normal in our own decision-making process. It's how we make decisions faster. But there's the difference between bias that is intentional for the proper functioning of a decision support system and bias that is creeping in, or frankly, bias that is injected. We hear about unintentional, but I've had at least over the last couple of days, something float across my desk asking about bad actors intentionally injecting bias into systems, into training sets in order to later exploit them. So uh, it's already you know, it's already happening there as well. When we think of bias, again, we want to have systems that have the correct 
correct, measurable bias where we can prove the provenance, where we have confidence that we can measure the diversity of teams that have crafted these solutions that we are constantly examining the outcomes. We're not going to have an end to this process, but these technologies are so powerful and they have so much promise to tackle some of the most challenging questions that we have, questions about resource allocations, questions about efficiency, questions about sustainably providing opportunity and care and food and water and energy to 8 billion people. We need to be able to take these technologies and take advantage of them, but at the same time does place this now continuous burden on us to constantly make sure that we're achieving the outcomes that we want and to the greatest possible extent, mitigating the unintended consequences of using these tools. Right. And that's exactly one of the topics we wanted to cover here today. You know, what are the other obstacles that are preventing equity in data and algorithms and how can we overcome them? One of the biggest challenges is the lack of diversity in technology in general and AI, of course, has inherited it. I speak about, you know, getting more women into AI because that just happens to be the largest minority group. But here's the beauty of AI. Unlike traditional programming roles that we've had in the past, you don't need to be a developer. You don't need to be a programmer to be part of an AI team. You can be the subject matter expert, the domain expert who becomes a product manager. If you are an artist, you can look at a career path of designing AI solutions, creating user-friendly interfaces. A data science team and AI team is not just the data scientists and the engineers. It's also the talent that surrounds it. So AI gives us more opportunities to bring diverse talent to the table by tapping into different skill sets. So what impact could reducing, if not eliminating, digital bias have on societal bias in general? For me, the real promise here is that if we take the step to educate and give designers of these systems that opportunity to be introspective, to really examine what they're trying to accomplish, create systems that encourage and allow us to have that measurable confidence, approval, provenance, and data to measure uh, you know, the diversity of information going through, then I think they will end up accomplishing what they've always dreamed to. They want to solve problems. And this is, I think, an opportunity when we're having these conversations now for them to solve the problem that they desire without creating future problems. So this amount of forethought, it may seem inefficient. Sometimes you're wondering, why did I have to do this extra step? But given the power of these tools, given the power to apply them to our most critical human-centric problems, I think it's well worth the opportunity cost now to reap the benefits of really robust, reliable systems in the future. In terms of immediate action, what can executives do to remove bias in their algorithms and their organizations? One of the first things to do is to align behind ethical principles for your own organization. If they don't exist, this is the right time to first have those principles and uh, bring together your key stakeholders. Ethics is not just an IT problem or a technology problem. It is for any company that uses technology. Starting that journey to solving the bias is the first step to take today. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's the important part is, is taking that first step. There's sort of a message. If you're a CIO, if you're a CTO, there is someone in your organization who has downloaded an open source AI development toolkit, and they're tinkering right now in your organization. You may not know it, but I guarantee you these tools are effective, and you need to get ahead of this and provide guidance. And as soon as you make that declaration, we're going to go and we're going to work with you to define these principles, and then we're going to set up a mechanism by which we can provide guidance, that's that first step. And just stating it out loud that you intend to do this, declaring that you will embrace these technologies and the ethical responsibilities associated with using them. Mina and Kirk, thank you so much for joining me on the show this week. It's been such an insightful and informative topic for us all. Dennis, thank you so much for having me. And Kirk, such a pleasure to speak with you and join you on this discussion today. Oh, and I can't wait to read your book, Bina. Thanks. That's today's show. Thanks for listening. Leave a review or reach out to HPE or me on Twitter. And be sure to subscribe to the Element Podcast to hear the entire season on digital inclusion. In earlier episodes, we went deep on fostering trust, democratizing data, and designing solutions for equity. That's all on the Element Podcast from HPE.